spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. When you get a false positive, you always want to check it twice to be sure, right? It's episode 374 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham. The reason I say that is... We talked about False Positive last week, the movie from Hulu, if you haven't watched it yet. Let me give you a little bit more convincing. I've got director John Lee joining me this week to talk about some of the other stuff that's going on in False Positive. Spoiler free, by the way, even though it is available now on Hulu. Also got the wonderfully talented Kritzia Bajos joining me this week to talk about her voiceover career. We'll, we'll talk to her about what the Vox as well. If you didn't remember Jennifer Hale talking about that with me a, a few weeks ago. Kritzia will tell you all about it. Plus, spoiler-free reviews of some big movies this week. Black Widow, got an early review of that for you. Got the Tomorrow War review coming up as well. Going to talk about the United States of Captain America comic from Marvel. So the comic book reviews are back this week and a ton of trailers to talk about this week too. But let's start things off with director John Lee. Let's talk about some false positive next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm Haley Mancini. And I'm Jake Goldman. And we are writers for the Powerpuff Girls. And you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Yeah. Hopefully you've already watched False Positive on Hulu. It is eerie. It is creepy. It is amazing. And you might have heard me talk to Zainab Ja last week about playing Grace Singleton. This week I thought we'd catch up with director John Lee, get a little bit more insight in the movie as well. Spoiler free, by the way, so if you still haven't seen it yet and need more convincing, this will help you out with that as well. So here's my conversation with False Positive director, John Lee. Hey, John, how you doing, man? Good, how are you? Doing very good, man. Thanks for taking the time today. I appreciate it. Of course. So definitely love the film, but it's very different than the stuff you'd been doing with Alana Glazer in the past. So how did you all kind of come together to do something completely different like this, like False Positive? It's a lot different than Broad City for sure. It's not, it's not totally different from work I've made on my own. And so I had written this 70 page kind of tone poem with uh, Alyssa Nutting, the author and uh, Lana asked me, she's like, what are you, what are you writing? What do you got going on? What's, you know, what, what do you want to make next? And I gave this to her and she read it and she's like, I want to make it. And I was like, are you sure you want to make this? Cause there's weird stuff in this movie. And she's one of those people that is like really adventurous and really willing to go long distances and take big risks to say something beyond just herself. And so I was like, great. She, you know, you are now my hero. And so like we wrote it together, we turned it into like a story and a little bit more of a structured script than a kind of mercurial kind of dream, moody, kind of depressing kind of experience. Then we went to A24. We just pitched it just to them and they bought it. Excellent. Excellent. Now, my wife and I actually struggled with our own infertility issues before being blessed with our family. So I could certainly relate to what Lucy and Adrian were going through in the early stages. So how did you want to tackle those very complex emotions that happened early on in the film? I mean, I had that same experience with my wife. We now have two daughters, which is great. But the 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 kind of the first time when you have a miscarriage it's uh, confusing and confounding. Mm-hmm. And then every decision you make feels like so massive, you know? And I just realized how much pressure is put on in a situation that it shouldn't be. 
you know, it should be more supported and it should be more talked about. And, you know, like we should have a system and a structure in place that is actually helpful to people and gives them options for what is the path they want to take. There's a lot of paths you can take with fertility and I'd, I have no judgment on any of them, but we need those options and we need the support in those options for people to feel like they have a place that they can trust. And we just don't do that in this society. So that was very important to keep within the movie. Yeah, I feel like a, a lot of this film actually keeps keeps you questioning what you think you know. So can you talk about how much that perception versus reality really plays a part in the movie? I really wanted to embrace, I think most, not a lot of men know what it means to be gaslit, right? But I'm going to say most women know what it means to be gaslit. So I really wanted to make you experience that in this movie, that confusion, that debasement that can happen when people are lying to you or not telling you the truth or giving you information that actually makes them the powerful one and not the, the people making the decision. So that was very important to me. I'm not interested in like explaining things sometimes. And in this movie, since that's what's happening to Lucy, I really wanted to embrace that cinematically. She only wakes up from a dream once in the, mo in the movie. Other times there is no sort of signif signifier of that. And that's all on purpose. Yeah, that I really wanted to embrace the kind of psychology, the psychological dreaminess that cinema can have. You definitely did that. Now, I also feel like this is kind of Pierce Brosnan, like we've really never seen him before playing Dr. Hindel. So what was it like working with him to kind of craft that performance? Do you feel like fans are going to be surprised when they see this as well? Everything that you love about Pierce Brosnan is in Dr. Hindle, but just on the wrong side. Right, you exactly. Know? Yep, yep, pretty oh, much. Yeah, for, for sure. So like uh, we, he read the script and totally understood it. And he understood why we wanted him to do it because his bedside manner is so pleasant and so nice and so thoughtful. Like I wanted to make sure that Dr. Hindle was someone you were like, yeah, I want to be a patient of that guy. Look at that guy. He's amazing. You know, and listen to his voice, you know, like, and so that was important to have, not as an evil thing to like signify twistedness, but as a um, explanation of why we trust men so much, you know, <laughs> like their confidence is really important to our society. And as we see it crumble with some men in our lives in recent times, it's an enjoyable paradigm shift that we see Dr. Hindle go through also. Absolutely. You, you talk about trust. I feel like one character I thought played a big role in the film was Corrigan, who was played by the amazing Sophia Bush. So tease for us a little bit. How important is that relationship between her and Lucy? It is the essential thing because my wife and I discovered while after we had finally had our first child, like how competitive it is with other parents. And it really is a reflection of like how competitive it, it is and how much lack of support we have as a society. This is a thing that shouldn't be competitive at all, you know, but like the like comparisons of my buggy's more fancy than your buggy, or I have the limited oh, edition yeah. version. It's psychotic. Mm -hmm. And I lived in, I still live in a neighborhood that is very, very much known for that. And I thought that was really important to have another white female in the movie that Lucy would trust that seemed aspirational because birth and parenthood shouldn't be aspirational in those aspects, but somehow it is in our society. And so I thought that was really important. So she felt like she finally had a friend. All her other friends are just mentioned off camera. We never actually see them. She doesn't right, have that's a true, mom. Yeah. 
She doesn't have a mom, you know, like the, the, the grace becomes her mother figure. And so I really wanted to like you to go like, oh, great. She has someone she can talk to. And then, you know, that's not always the safest thing, sadly, in our world. Very true. Very true. There's a lot of difficult decisions women have to make when they are pregnant. And you touched on that a couple minutes earlier, but how important is it for you to highlight the fact that not all of those decisions actually have to do with parenting in the baby itself? Because I thought that was a key part, too. Yeah, I, I think I think it really helped that I don't want to say it helped, but it did help that I'd gone through an experience like that with a partner and a wife that like we you know, she's my best friend. And so like, I think that's, you know, having that experience was really important to understanding this movie. And we would have discussions with people when we were showing them the movie about like what that meant with people who didn't have babies, they didn't understand certain things, you know, but it, I'm sure you understood it because you've gone through something yep, like that. Certainly. And there's a lot of subtleties that are truthful and that I would hope resonate, whether you have gone through that experience or not that you understand that that feeling happens and there's all these daunting decisions that they present to you that are just feel like oh it's dreadful sometimes you know while at the same time once you find out you're pregnant you're like oh my god okay you imagine your child at one at five yep. at 10 mm -hmm. 16 college you just project immediately and then they tell you this information that you're just like oh my god i hope we make the right decision and then women are presented with this decision of having a career or having a baby. I've never been presented with that decision. Even though I have a career and a baby, I've never been asked, what's it like having it all? You know, but my wife has, she's a creative person and she yep. directs and writes. And so this like, it's so ingrained in our society, whether you're a liberal, progressive, woke, white male or not, there's a lot of things that maybe you gotta examine, <laughs> you know, and uh, hopefully this movie makes you, you know, like all satires, holds it up the mirror to yourself, even if you think you get it, to go like, oh, maybe I'm still, I'm still a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> well, people will find that out on June 25th on Hulu. That's when False yeah. Positive is going to premiere. John, thank you so much for the time today. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. See ya. And there really are so many things that this movie explores and explores well and in a very, very interesting angle and through some very creative storytelling as well. So make sure you're watching False Positive right now streaming on Hulu. That's going to do it for my conversation with director John Lee. Up next, it's time to talk about the big movies of the week coming up. We'll start with Marvel's Black Widow. My spoiler-free review up next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey guys, this is Chloe Bennett from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. A hero story years in the making. It's time for my spoiler-free review of Marvel's Black Widow. I know it's not coming out until July 9th. Got the opportunity to see it a little bit early, so I'm going to give you my review now. And obviously, I can't spoil anything, so I'm just going to give you my overall impressions of what I saw. What I can tell you is where this takes place in the timeline. The movie actually lays it out pretty neatly for you in the very beginning, but this takes place around the Civil War timeline, you know, right when Civil War was happening. So that's when this is going on. And you've seen by the trailers and, you know, stuff I posted down in nerdypodcast.com. You know what's going on. You know that Natasha reunites with her family at some point, right? And they are going on a mission together. And, and if you put the pieces together, you probably know what that mission is, right? You can kind of piece it together 
from the trailer. I'm not going to say it here because I don't just in case I don't want to spoil anything. But you know, you you, kind of get an idea of what's going on there. But what I really loved in this movie was the fact that the dynamic between Natasha and Yelena, who was played by Florence Pugh. And I mean, Florence Pugh was a huge star for me in this movie. I think Yelena steals the show, quite frankly. I just, there was something about that character I just really loved. And then when you get Yelena and Natasha together and that sister dynamic that they have, it just works. If you have a sibling, this will work for you. For sure, because the, the, the sibling dynamic between the two of them is really, really fun. And I just love Yelena's attitude in general. Now, I, I, I really hope that we get to see more of her at some point, because I'm, I'm telling you right now, I just loved everything about that character. So bravo to Florence Pugh for an amazing performance. And Scarlett Johansson. Obviously, you know, she she brings if you were already a fan of her as Black Widow, you're going to you're going to be a fan of hers in this movie as well. The other thing I thought was really good. There were a lot of good eye popping action sequences in this movie. There really, really were. I mean, there is obvious there's obviously some lulls because there's a lot of story to tell here. But the action pieces, when they did come, were big and they were and they were amazing. I will I will say that for sure. There's a lot of emotions to be dealt with here, too. And we dive into the past of Natasha and her family as well and see, you know, where they kind of got started and the the ground floor of their family and where they and how things actually go with her journey from childhood and how things went the way they went with her family and how there will there will be some difficult emotions and things to deal with there. There's also a couple of pretty good fake outs. In this story, too, by the way, and, and, I, and I won't even kind of hint at to what those are, but there, there's a couple of really good fake outs that I that I enjoyed in this movie as well. Now, that's not to say that it's completely perfect, I, and and there were definitely a couple of problems that I had with the movie, and one of them was with with the villain Taskmaster. Taskmaster was not not as big of a deal in this movie as I would have liked. I think that. I understand where they were going with this character and the choice that they made. I will say that, but I I was hoping for more. That that's that's all I can really say with it without spoiling anything because there's a, there's a lot of big spoilers that surround that character. I also, while I love David Harbor, and while I loved Alexi and Red Guardian, some of that stuff, not all of it. Some of it was some of it was good. Some of it was funny. Some of it was impactful. Some of it felt forced, though. Not going to lie. There were times where it felt like things were being forced because this character had to fill a certain need in this movie. So, I, I, again, and, and nothing, nothing wrong with David Harbour's performance at all. I'm just saying, like, writing-wise, it just felt like there were some times where there were some things that were forced. Rachel Weisz, who I love, kind of felt like I didn't see enough of her either quite frankly in this movie and again she plays a role in in what happens in the story no doubt about that but at the same time i don't really feel like i saw enough of her actually villain wise this movie is a little weak i and and i hate to say that but it's really true i mean because you've got you've got taskmaster but you've also got you know somebody else obviously if you know the story you've got somebody else that's involved 
as a villain here as well. And, and yeah, there's a threat there and yeah, it's personal, but at the same time, you're like, okay, from what I've seen, you know, I don't understand how this is a big deal for like, like a big, I don't want to say challenge. Maybe that's not the right word. It didn't feel big enough. And I think that that's, you know, we've kind of been spoiled as Marvel movie fans, right? Because we're expecting that big villain. And while you could make the argument that we get one here, I don't know that it felt that way. So I, that's the best way that I can really describe what's going on here. The other problem that this movie runs into is that it's kind of a prequel, but it's not, right? Because obviously, if you've seen Endgame, you know what happens with, with Natasha. But what I'm saying is, is that when there are points in this movie where, you know, it's life or death situation, obviously you kind of know, right? And this is no real spoiler. Obviously, you know, she survives, right? You know, she lives beyond this movie. If we're going in the past timeline, because you know that she's around for these other movies that are coming up. So it kind of takes away that, you know, will she or won't she die in this particular scene sort of thing. And again, not a spoiler because it's pretty obvious, right? That she lives past this movie. I don't think that that's, that's too much of a stretch to say here. So that's, that's, there's no spoiler there at all. I, I just feel like there, and that's a hard thing to get around to, by the way. Anytime you're making any, anything that is, and again, you don't really necessarily consider this a prequel, but it kind of is, right? But anytime you're doing something like this, you run into that problem if you're going to go there. And there were a couple times where they really did go there. Although, to be fair, I, I think that the credibility that, that Black Widow and Natasha Romanoff have, have built up here, you, you, you don't really think she's going to be in that kind of danger anyway just because of how much of a badass she is. So I guess, you know, maybe that's part of the thinking here too. But, uh, yeah, there there were times where they, they definitely ran into, the, ran into that problem. So this is, a, this now don't get me wrong, this was a very, very enjoyable movie. There were plenty of very good scenes in this. I thought the execution overall was pretty darn good. I thought that, you know, the, the family dynamic, like I said, was really, really fun and interesting. And that was something that I honestly could have seen a little bit more of, quite frankly. It doesn't get bogged down in, in you know, Easter eggs and things like that and and cameos from certain characters. You don't get a, you don't really get a whole lot of that. What this movie unapologetically does is tell its own story. And that's really, really refreshing because while this wasn't the big send off or a big highlight for the Black Widow character that I think that the character could have definitely deserved. And this feels like it should have happened earlier than it actually did because I feel like there would have been maybe a little bit more that you could have told here with Natasha. And maybe there still is, too, by the way. I mean, I know what Scarlett Johansson has said, but you, you never really know in this world of comic book movies, do you? Now, the end credit scene, I will tell you, is a big one, and it does set something up big time going forward. There will be a, there will be a very familiar face in this end credit scene if you've been paying attention to what's been going on in the MCU recently. That's the only tease that I can give you as far as that goes. But watch the credits. There's something very, very important that you are definitely 
not going to want to miss. And you're done. You're, you're not going to want to miss this movie. There's you. I think you'll probably agree that it's not going to be a perfect movie. But at the same time, there are a lot of things about it that are pretty darn enjoyable. It's a fun ride. There's a lot of action. You're going to love Yelena for sure. So make sure you're watching Marvel's Black Widow either on Disney Plus with Premier Access or in theaters on July 9th. That's going to do it for my spoiler-free review of Black Widow. Up next, we'll keep it spoiler-free and talk about The Tomorrow War from Amazon Prime Video next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, this is John Sipos from Krypton, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Sometimes solving problems in the future means looking to the past. It's time for my spoiler-free review of the new Amazon Studios and Paramount Skydance movie, The Tomorrow War, starring Chris Pratt and a load of others. And again, if you've seen my coverage on downandnerdypodcast.com, you know that this is a movie where aliens have invaded the Earth and this happens in the future. And the only way to combat this alien threat is to go back in the past and draft people to come and fight in this war in the future. So again, I'm not going to spoil anything. The movie just dropped don't want to take any chances that maybe I haven't had a chance to see it yet. You know, 4th of July weekend is busy. I don't want I don't want to put you in that position. So I will say this. Okay, I want to start off with with the good. And that is the the aliens themselves in this movie. And you don't really get to see a whole lot of them. I know that in in some of the, the later trailers you do get a peek. You really don't. Okay? Because the threat that these aliens bring is pretty legit. I mean, I just kind of criticized Black Widow for for their villains. And I got to tell you, as far as threats go in a movie, especially when you're talking about alien invasion type thing, this this is a threat. Like, this is a legit 100% threat. I mean, there are times where I was watching this and I'm like, how on how in the world are they actually going to do are going to be able to pull this off? How are they going to be able to survive this just based on how brutal what these aliens are capable of, their size, everything. It was just, it felt really formidable. If this movie did one thing right, it was that they made these aliens feel dominant and extremely formidable. There is no question about that. Now, other than that, this movie was very, very difficult, and I feel like kind of a huge missed opportunity you you get you classic Chris Pratt right you're gonna get the Chris Pratt that you love and Dan Forrester there you know so don't worry about that at all you if you love Chris Pratt you'll still love him in this movie I I'm a personally I'm a huge fan of, of Yvonne Stryovsky so I was really looking forward to seeing her in this as well she definitely does not disappoint either she is very very good and there's not a whole lot that I can tell you about her character, but I, the, she plays a huge part in the story ultimately. But to me, this movie makes, uh, there's a lot of tropes in this movie. And again, since I'm not doing spoilers, I can't tell you what those are, but it's laden with them, right? There's, there's a lot of stuff that you're going to see that you've seen before in at least some sort of iteration or some sort of roundabout way, right? There wasn't as much originality in this movie as there could have been. There's also 
ultimately, and I'm going to skip around here a little bit because one of my biggest frustrations was something that they kind of threw in towards the end about the aliens. And I was like, that's what you're going with. You're going to make that statement and then use that for this. And that just, it felt very forced and thrown in there. And, and you'll understand what I'm saying when you get there. It happens very late in the movie. And again, it's like, okay, you, you can make that statement. You can make that point, but you, you use that to do this and make this part of the... No, no. It just... It, you could have done that in such a better way. You could have given these aliens a little bit more of a... Uh, I don't want to say origin because that's not necessarily the right way to go to go about it. But, but ultimately something that they end up finding out, I felt, I felt like it was very forced and thrown in there for certain reasons. And, and I just didn't think that that was necessary in this particular story. You also get a couple of characters that I really loved that were almost kind of wasted in this movie. And one of them was Sam Richardson's Charlie. And you, you meet him kind of very early on. He's, he's the, he's the humor. In this movie, and he's one of the more likable characters in it as well. I, you definitely don't see him enough. I don't see J.K. Simmons enough. I feel like I say that in a lot of stuff that J.K. Simmons is in, unfortunately. But he's they set something up with him as well. And it's like there could have been another opportunity there, I feel like, to, to use him in a, in a more expanded role too. And you don't see him quite enough either and there there's a lot of tactical stuff that goes on here but there's a lot of stuff even even in the action sequences there's a lot of stuff that just doesn't make sense tactically and i'm not even saying that as an expert or anything right it's just that when you've seen as many movies as you and i have you see you pick up on certain things right and you pick up on on certain cues from things that they tell you earlier in the movie too And then when you see how something is executed or you see what happens in some of these action scenes, you're like, well, that just doesn't make any sense. Or how does that how does that make sense? Why did that happen? Why did this happen now when it could have happened earlier and it would have made a lot more sense? There were just a lot of missed opportunities for continuity here. And it feels like stuff was thrown in at a certain point because it just happened to fit the particular scene that was in when it could have also fit a scene that happened way earlier in the movie too, and it just wasn't used. So it just felt like things were a a kind of a mess in that regard too. So, and, and again, there's, there's a lot of statements that are made here. One of the things that that's really going to frustrate you about this movie, and, and this is not necessarily a criticism, but how the people are chosen for these missions, right? How the people are kind of brought into this war is frustrating. And, and, you know, and, and again, it's one of those things where really this is this was your best idea. And that's not a criticism of the movie. That's a criticism of really this is, you know, that's one of the things that's going to get you thinking about this movie for sure. But again, there was just so many to me, either missed opportunities or stuff that just didn't make a whole lot of sense. Even one of the final fights in this movie, I'm like, really? Because this could have gone much, much different. This could have gone a whole different direction. And it's almost like you guys didn't think this through the way you really could have. Like, you made it seem like you thought it through, 
and you didn't really think it through. And then there's like, okay, there's some really smart people, characters in this movie, and they do a lot of really not smart things. And I realize, you know, in the heat of battle, stuff happens, right? You're not necessarily going to be at your best and at your brightest. But at the same time, some of the choices that get made here, like, really, that's what you decided to do? You thought that was the best way to go about this? And then when you prop up a certain character or a certain group of characters, and then something happens later on, you go, how is that possible when you said they were this and then this happens? So, again, I thought that there were a lot of times where things could have been done a little bit differently. Things could have been handled in a, in a, in a much better way, action-wise, at certain, certain points. I thought that, you know, some of the dialogue was a little bit cringy, too. It just... And, and there was a there was a family story here, too, that could have hit a lot more emotionally than it actually did. There was one scene that did. Once you get there, you're, you're made of stone if you don't get a little emotional when you see it. That I will definitely say. But at the same time, overall, this family story that they build in this, again, could have, I feel like, gone differently. It definitely could have made more of an impact than it actually did. I just didn't feel it. Maybe you will. I didn't feel that connection like I like I should have. And again, I think part of that was some of the choices that were made in the story, not the fault of the actors. So again, there, there there's certain things that you're I think you're gonna like about this movie. And maybe if you go into it with just the okay, it's going to be a cool sci-fi action action flick, and I like Chris Pratt, or I like or I like Yvonne, and I'm just going to go with that and just be happy with that. Do that. If you do that, you'll enjoy it a little bit more. I went in with a little bit better, bigger expectations. I feel like that's why I might have been a little bit disappointed with this one. But hey, check it out. See what you think. Amazon Prime Video is where you can see it. The Tomorrow War starring Chris Pratt and company available right now on Amazon Prime Video. That'll do it for my spoiler-free review of The Tomorrow War from Amazon. Up next, we're going to talk to Kritzia Bajos about her voice acting career and what the Vox. Plenty more next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Tara Strong, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. If you know anything about the Down and Nerdy Podcast, you know how much we love voiceover talent. You know how much we love supporting them and everything that they do. So if I get a chance to talk to somebody I've never talked to before in the field, I always jump at that chance. And I cannot wait to talk to this wonderful woman. It's Kritzia Bajos. Kritzia, how you doing? I'm doing great. Good job on my name, buddy. Oh, <laughs> see, then I can pat myself on the back. Even though this is audio, nobody can see yeah. it. I'm, I'm totally doing that right now. Oh, my goodness. That's a win for me right off the bat. But actually, let's talk Absolutely. about your career for a second, because I mean, you've been a part of so much amazing stuff already, but and so many great projects. But what's that? What's that first gig that made you go? Wow, I really I can't believe that I'm doing this. This is so cool. Oh, man, I got to say, you know, my first game and I didn't know what the heck I was doing. I don't know what was going on. It was it was Grand Theft Auto five. I was one of the townspeople. I didn't know what was going on. But the game that had that moment that you're asking the question about was when I became a Sim for Sims 4. Yes. Uh, that blew my mind. I was like, I'll, full disclosure, I wasn't somebody that like, I played really simple games. Like, well, I guess you could call Sims kind of simple, but it was, I played only Nintendo. That's all I played when I was growing up. So I didn't really play the Sims. I didn't know, you know? And so when I got the audition for this, I don't know if it's because I also speak Spanish. I'm very, I love improv, but I kind of just like dove in and went for it. And when I got the call back, I was like, wait, what? What is it that I'm doing? 
callback was so much fun. And then when I actually got the job and I got to fly to Redwood City every single time we would do that job in this is in Northern California. And I got to like be there. And at the time, I didn't know who Fred Tattashore was. Oh, I love Fred. And he was like always my partner. And I didn't know who he was. I just thought this was this jolly giant man who like is supremely talented. But I was really new to voice so acting already. And so hearing him, being with him for all of these sessions, and then we started to change up some of the people. But at the beginning was Fred. Being a part of this, I was like, this is so rad. This is so much fun. I am loving this. I cannot believe this. I get paid to do this. And it was just a blast. And then, of course, I, I got to learn next to a freaking living legend. No doubt. You know what I mean? Like Fred mm-hmm. Tattashore. So I was like, once I got to know, like when people started to say, do you do you know who you're working with? And I'm like, yeah, this amazing man, Fred Tattashore. I was like, no, 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 no. Let me go ahead and show you. I was like, oh, and then it was, I came back. Like, I don't know how many sessions later. It was like after several times working together, I'm like, Fred Tattashore, I did not know who you were. I'm like, you're a freaking Hulk. You do all this stuff. Yep. He was just so humble and sweet and he's just the best. But yeah, it was, it was hilarious. That's when I, it really opened up for me. And just, especially in gaming, uh, I just fell in love. That I, I love that guy. I've gotten a chance to talk to him a couple of times. I've been very lucky. He's, he's very cool. But you've been part of some really cool stuff after that, too. I mean, Carla Rivas and Call of Duty, Black Ops, Cold War, which is pretty awesome. So when you're actually voicing a playable character, though, like that, do you feel like that kind of gives you more of a connection to the fan base than maybe any other type of character that you might do in a, in a game in, in a sense? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it's taken me a long time to become one of these bigger characters. So it's really exciting to do that. I'm, I'm a lead of another one that's coming out, uh, hopefully, you know, later on the year, or early next year. So it's always fun to be able to be somebody that you're like their voice. You know what I'm saying? Like the player can use, you know, it's, it's something that's a little bit more tangible, even though it's really fun to fill up the world. I love doing that too. I mean, listen, all the jobs are fun for me, but it's also really great to be able to be in that heat of the moment and to really, you're seeing it through their eyes and they're seeing it through your eyes. It's mm. like this wonderful little symbiotic relationship with both the player and for yourself. So I really take that to heart and I, I take a lot of pride in my work and want to make sure that the player's experience is at the fullest potential that it can be, because I know how important that is. And I want to be able to voice characters that players can feel like, oh yeah, this, I I feel completely immersed in this person and that I did a good enough job that they don't think of it as a performance. And they think of it, that they're actually playing this human being, this character, this creature, whatever it may be. I want them to forget about the voice actor and, and be so immersed in it. And that's how I know I've done my job. Absolutely. Now, we t- I talk about female playable characters. That's actually become more of a thing lately than it used to be. I mean, I know that, you know, you had your lead character and oftentimes that was a male lead character and you would have a female character. But wouldn't it be playable? So since we're talking about the voiceover industry in general and, and specifically with gaming, because we saw Assassin's Creed has done this and a few other games recently. Is this a good step in the right direction that we're giving players options now that here's a male character Here's a female character. The stories might differ sli- differ slightly, but you do have that option to have a female playable character in these games. No, I don't think that's a good idea. Not at all. Um, <laughs> of course, that's a great idea. Yes, absolutely. You know, it's really fun when I get messages and 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 it doesn't matter who, you know, all genders can can play. But it's really great when I see other women and other, you know, girls coming up to me like, oh, my gosh, it's so great to see somebody like me or hear someone like me or find that strength. that's not just a damsel in distress. And, you know, women, we don't have to all be the, you know, strong female lead mm-hmm. like we there's different kinds of but i i love that i tend to play that because of where my voice print is at and where i 
am just as an essence of my being. But I, I just love that we, why wouldn't we have that option? You okay. know, why, why wouldn't we have several looking different looking heroes for our story? And, you know, it, why, why can't, why can't a woman be at the lead? Right. And I think that that's, we're seeing so much of that now. And I think it's, it's a great place to be and to, to have that choice. Right. Uh, yeah. You can, you can, just to have the choice, have the choice, right. And not just be stuck with one. So I love that that's opening up. And, and, you know, I think all sides of the industry have kind of clamored and asked for that and to show that kind of diversity. And, you know, this industry has been delivering. So we've been moving in strides here, which is really, I I feel really lucky and fortunate to be a part of the industry where it's at right now. And to be here at this time, it's like, what a time to be alive. So um, I'm happy about that. Definitely a good step in the right direction. Speaking of non-playable characters, actually, you got to play Camilla Vasquez in Spider-Man Miles Morales, which was really, really great. You're a little mission there, and we won't give anything away for anybody who hasn't played it. But, I mean, she was actually trying to be a hero herself in that regard. So it was far from just some random rescue. So how much fun was that mission to be a part of? Oh, that was a lot of fun. You know, it was, first of all, Chris isn't a fantastic director and she's so fun. She does not pull any punches and she's like, ah, I don't believe you. Oh, let's do this again. So just being part of the behind the scenes kind of thing in that way was really fun. And I had to play a little bit of an older character and have more of the accent, be that Puerto Rican. My family was raised in Puerto Rico. So I was able to kind of put that together and just really give that the, 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 the space and feel, you know, her body and where she's at. And I just loved it. It was great to kind of just not just be rescued, but try to be like you mentioned, well, I hope I didn't say too much, but anyway, the game's out. Like if you haven't played it, yeah, you've, you've uh, probably played this already. You know who I'm talking yeah, about. So yeah, yeah, you know what we're talking about. Yeah, exactly. If it was a game that hadn't come out yet, I'd shut my trap. There's more, playthroughs but... on YouTube. Come on. Exactly. <laughs> you know? But I love that. I love that she's like this tough old broad and you know, she mm-hmm. was like, yeah, I need some help, but also, Hey, let's, let's help out Spidey here a little bit. Right. Yeah. I love when there's just more to it than just a simple mission. And they've got, especially when I'm able to create characters and, and breathe the life, you know, th- that's what I love about what I do as, as an actor is it's a collaboration. And even when I direct, I've started to direct games now. And so I love that to me, how I see it is like, if I'm red, the director and the project themselves, the writers, you know, they're blue. Our mission is to make purple, right? We want to get to that purple space. So as an actor, that's what I want to bring. As a director, that's what I bring and that collaboration. So when they give you like, hey, these are the parameters, but let's see what you bring to the table. And that's the biggest thing about all of that is like, yeah, you can have a good voice. People think, oh, I got into voice acting. You know, I'm going to get into voice acting because I've got a beautiful voice, right? Mm-hmm. And I know how to speak well. No, no. What are you bringing to these characters that are part of your own truth? How do you elevate this project, this writing and bring in all your life expertise and or experiences and who you are as a fully, you know, realized human being? And so I love when that's able to happen. And I felt that in that room, too. Like, here's uh, Camila, but also what does Critzia bring to this and how can we elevate it and turn it into what you you know experienced in the game? So well put. I love that. I love that. You've also played a villain in Cyberpunk 2077. It was Matilda slash Sasquatch. So, I mean, I'm sure it's fun to play the villain, but what was it like actually knowing that you've been frustrating gamers everywhere trying to get past her? (laughs) It's fun. I'm not going to lie. It's fun. Listen, I frustrated, but I was also Mama Wells and I was. That's true. That's true. So I was, you know, so, you know, I felt like I was a really good yin yang in that game. Like I had the frustration and I also had a lot of healing with Mama Wells. So, you know, I I like to give, I'm a bad, I like to consider myself as a pretty balanced person. That made me happy. I was like, yeah, I got them both. You know, that's another great example, James, of Sasquatch being Sasquatch. But when I became the voice, they were like, cool, 
you want to give her a Cuban accent? Cause I'm Cuban. Yeah. I was like, hell yeah, yeah. let's do it. You know? So that's again, infusing who she is. And I gave a good enough audition to book the job. But then once I booked it, Hey, let's throw more Kritzia into this. I'm like, hell yeah, let's do it. So it's like, okay, she's all fucking bad. Oh, sorry. Can I curse? Uh, oh yeah, no <laughs> doubt. Go for it. Knock yourself she's out. She's a badass bitch, you know, and she just comes right in for it. And so like, I went all the way, almost <laughs> definitely used my voice a lot that day, but yeah, that was fun too, to kind of play in that purple as I like to say. Taking it up a notch a little bit. Talking Sorry to, for the frustrations. There you go. <laughs> Talking to Kritzia Bajos, who, of course, plays so many of your favorite characters in so many things. Games, animated series. We'll get into that here in just a second. But I definitely want to talk about What the Vox, because it's a very important initiative that you're a part of. Talk about why that's so important, especially right now. I was approached to be a part of What the Vox by Sissy Jones, who, Sissy, anything she asks me to do or runs past me, I barely ask uh, questions. I literally say, sure, when do you need me? Yep, absolutely, I'll do it. So, but especially for this one, when she started talking about what what the Vox would be, uh, you know, how it would come together, I just was, gosh, I don't even think a millisecond came by. I was like 100%, especially when she told me the names. Like, I consider myself to be more of a baby voice actor. I mean, I know I've been in it for, I guess, 11 years is nothing to, like, scoff at. Yeah, no but, doubt. But you know what I mean? Like, you've got people like Jennifer Hale, who I looked up to. And it's like, to be in the same circle as her is like, I mean, I just literally just said that and got chills. Like, it definitely makes me feel like, whoa, I am playing in the big leagues if I'm alongside this incredible woman and Courtney Taylor. I mean, it's it's just these names are incredible. And even, I guess, considered more newcomers with Anjali and Carolina, but look at the roles they've played. I mean, these people are like incredible. And let's not even like Sissy, I don't even have to say anything about her. Mm -hmm. Delilah, BAFTA, come on. But, you know, being a part of those kind of women, and it's it's, it's wonderful because we always talk about women supporting women, but it's like, okay, this is an actual manifestation of that. And having, we like to all say, you know, uh, high tide rises all ships, you know, kind of situation. I might've gotten the verbiage wrong, but it's more or less to that extent. And so it's like, hey, if we're all pumping each other up, we're all going to rise together. And then in that same vein, we could bring people up. And I love that too, because I feel like having more women in the industry, not just as voice actors, I love, again, I'm a director too. So I'm loving seeing it behind the mic, you know, or I guess, you know, on the other side of the mic, but, you know, working with a bunch of women directors too. I love that. And so we just wanted to see more of that happen and give more, no pun intended, voice Mm -hmm. to this idea. This is another reason why I started the school that I started with voiceover camp. Like, I love what I do so much that I want to help other people learn about it and like feel like they're, you know, learning from somebody that's actually in it at this moment. So whether it's through What the Vox or through voiceover camp, it's like, hey guys, I'm in the belief that the universe is abundant. We have an abundance here on this earth. And I think what I do is special for me, but it doesn't mean that I'm taking away jobs or other people are taking away jobs from me. It's, hey, if you come up and you've got, you've harnessed your something special, by all means, come join us. Like all voices need to be heard. So come on in, you know, just can you do the work? <laughs> because this is work. This Absolutely. is work. As a matter of fact, that leads me into my next question because I don't think the average fan really understands how long you can be in the booth, how much of a toll it can take on you, not just your voice, but just physically and all this other. There's so much that goes into it. So let me ask you this. You talk about your your, your camp that you have. Do you have any kind of tricks to get through that long day or do you have any trip t- yeah. tips for any aspiring voice actors that might be thinking about, is this something I want to do? Ooh, James, well, to be more specific to your question about the long day, 
I don't know if I'm the best person to ask because as Jeremy knows, <laughs> my days start at eight and end sometimes at 10 p.m. Hey, not so a bad thing. I not also, a bad thing. Well, it kind of is if you're trying to be a normal human being and try to like also not work. But <sighs> I am very fortunate that right now I do have my hands on a lot of pots. So like I my normal days, like I direct and then I have a session or it depends on the day. And then I have my teaching at night. And so I think the biggest thing I would say is look, I'm someone, I know this might be weird, but I don't drink coffee. I do have a lot of energy. I don't drink coffee. I don't drink caffeine. I do work out. I try to be healthy. Vocal health is really important. As you see, if I've been chugging along here, Mm -hmm. uh, I drink this, uh, my big old jug of 32 ounces a lot. I think it's just, there's a diff, there's all sorts of health that is in mind for me, vocal health. And if any of you follow me on Instagram, I posted a not for not safe for work picture recently, but it is my throat y'all it is my vocal cords it is nothing else but it's like okay i'm a vocal athlete the people that do these it's truly like athleticism and so you have to be not just healthy like what you put into your body how you keep this machine this meat packet going um and how good you are to yourself and your body but it's not just physical it's also here how i get through long days it's a i love what i do i know that what i do is good work and i put everything i I, i'm very proud of what i do everything that i do i put my full attention and ability to and at the same time i also have to let things go so it's like okay i'm done with that i have to keep it moving so i don't get stuck and start to have, you know, you know, we all have those voices in our heads. That's like, trust me, I I suffered a lot with a ton of insecurities, feeling like I'm not blank enough, literally fill in the blank, pretty enough, talented enough, inspirational enough, interesting enough. I don't care what it is, fill in that blank. And I had it. So a lot of what I do that I think is for any kind of artistic work, but especially in this industry and acting in general is getting the mind right, getting the mind right. And really knowing that like, I'm going to work my ass off towards this, but I also have to learn to let it go. There's a really great quote that I love to talk about. And it's from Dallas Travers. And this is something that I love to say because it happened to me and I had to learn how to let go, which is if you attach yourself too tightly to how your dreams unfold, you run the risk of strangling that very dream to death. So I was so, I want this to look a certain way. And this is what my career is going to look like in this, that I didn't let it give oxygen to breathe. Yes, put your attention to something. Go to classes. That's the biggest thing I would tell somebody. Train, train, train. But then let it evolve in the way it needs to be to evolve. James, I had no idea that I, my life would look like what it did now. And this is beyond my wildest dreams. You know, I, I came out here with certain goals. And I thought if I don't achieve them, then I failed. But when I let go of those ideas and I allowed myself to explore different parts of this industry of acting as a whole, and I got into voice acting, I was like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. And then this world opened up itself to me that I would have never thought of. So that would be my biggest advice. It's not just for long days. I would say for the long journey and for this is a marathon. This is not a sprint. And again, I've been in this for 11 years. I got into animation only recently in the last three, four years, maybe it took me a long time. I did commercials for a long time. Gaming, I got into after that. Everything takes time. Enjoy the journey. I, I would never take back that time for anything. I'm so glad it took me this much time because this is so much sweeter now to be 100% honest with you. I love that. And I hope that anybody that needed to hear that definitely heard that. So before, Kritzi, before I let you go, I know that my son and I are kind of hoping to see Margarita back on the Casa Grandes <laughs> again soon. But other than that, well, you could talk about that a little bit too, but can you tell us about sure. anything else that's really exciting that you got coming up that you could actually tell us about? Because I know how secretive the industry can be. 
It is. It is so, and that's such a, I mean, I, I give it up to my publicist, uh, you know, like Jeremy and everybody at Motive, because it's like, it's so hard, you know, to try to promote something that you can't talk about. Oh, I get it's the so emails. Hard. I know. <laughs> it's so frustrating. And promise, I promise you, it is so frustrating on our side too. When we, we try to talk to developers like, hey, can we, anything, it's really tough. But anyways, the things I can't talk about, talking about Margarita, gosh, I love Margarita so much. And uh, yes, she's going to be coming back. We've definitely, you know, we've filmed some more episodes. We've recorded some more episodes. And so more is happening. I love that family, the Loud House family. I'm going to be doing a couple other spots on the Loud House as another character. So I'm definitely in the Nickelodeon family in so many ways. And I'm super appreciative to them because it's I just have so much fun. Something else that will be coming, but it's not going to happen for a while is not until next year, 2022. But it's my first series regular role, which is really exciting for Boss Baby. So it's in the new one that'll be coming out in 2022 but that has been a blast and i've been working on that for a long time so that's really exciting and uh yeah can't wait for that to come out well that covers both of my kids now so that that will make us there'll be a lot of you in my house i can already tell oh, nice. <laughs> your voice will be a part of my household for sure but make sure you're following a whole bunch of other stuff that she's got going i'm sure there's more that she can't tell us about well we'll find out about that soon enough it's kritzia bajos thank you so much for joining me Hey, two for two, James. You got my name great, too. I'm proud of you, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Your questions have been awesome, and this has been a lot of fun. I hope we get to talk again soon. Hey, this is Cullen Bunn, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This week, we are back in the fold, and whenever you're reading on, it's time for what we're reading. And one of the books that has been talked about a lot in the United States of Captain America, number one from Marvel Comics, Christopher Cantwell and Josh Terillo doing the writing here, Dan Eaglesham and Jim Basaldua doing the art on both stories, Matt Miller doing the colors, VCs Joe Caramagna on the letters, and the great Alex Ross on the cover. Now, we do have two stories to talk about here. One of them is the quote-unquote main story. The other kind of tells the story of this new Captain America, Aaron Fisher. And I say the term new Captain America, you'll understand when you read this book, and I'll, maybe I'll do a little bit of spoilers here since the book's been out, you'll understand more about the term Captain America when you read this story. But the first story actually involves Steve Rogers and his legacy and his, you know, maybe a little bit of a spoiler alert here, Stolen Shield. That is one of the big basis for this story and how this whole thing kind of gets kicked off in the first place with meeting this Captain Network. It's kind of the best way. You could describe it. So you do meet Aaron. He is a he is a Captain America. He explains why and what's going on and everything. And basically they, they run into him because they're trying to save this train from this other Captain America who for some reason is, is he's fast. And he's definitely got some abilities, but they have no idea who it is. I mean, is it U.S. agent? Maybe. I mean, that, that's not it's not really clear who it is. And that's the interesting part about this but we do have steve and we do have sam wilson on the case so that is the good news now the 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 way this story is kind of playing out is is kind of self-explanatory there's a clear vision for where this is going there's a there's an objective beyond just the shield so that it's very very clear one thing that's also clear is that if you are triggered by political statements in your comics then you're definitely going to be triggered by this book because this one definitely has a couple of them and a couple of big ones for sure. And and I'm not going to get into it, but whether you agree with it or not, in this story, 
it does give you a cause to fight for and it helps drive the story forward. So it is a necessary element in this story. You don't have to like it, but it is a necessary element in the story. The second ha- the second part of the story actually is is Aaron's story, Aaron Fisher. We get to learn a little bit more about Aaron. Now, it's a bit rushed because the, you don't have a whole issue to kind of to kind of flesh this story out, but his mission is very clear. It's clear what he wants to do. And it's it, and he's he's very scrappy. That's one thing that you learn about Aaron. He's he wants to do good, and he's a scrappy kid. And it's hard not to like the character once you actually get to know him a little bit. But here's the important thing to to remember: not everybody's going to love this book, and that's okay too, by the way. But there's also a lot of different elements in the story that make it work quite well. If it's not your thing, you don't have to read it. But I got to tell you, there are a lot of great things that work about this book, and and the art is one of them. The art in both stories, very, very good in different ways. So, I mean, you could appreciate the art in the story for sure. But again, if if you can agree with the statements or you cannot, but if this, I have a feeling that if if you read this book and this is your thing, this is really going to be your thing. But don't, don't not read this book because you're worried about what the politics of it might be. Read this book because I think that you'll be very intrigued by where the story is going and maybe, just maybe, you'll look at a little bit of a different perspective on things as well. So the United States of Captain America, number one for Marvel, definitely worth a read. Here's something that I was going to actually talk about last week, didn't get a chance to, and that is Parasomnia, number one from Dark Horse Comics, written by Colin Bunn. Andrea Muti doing the art and the colors for this one, and Simon Bolin on the letters. And maybe not as many spoilers for this one, but this story actually seems to take place concurrently in two different planes of existence. Yeah, there's a lot of mystery in here, but you can kind of see on the cover what's going on. One is the modern world, and the other seems to be some sort of like old world type setting. I mean, you're talking swords, horses, taverns, an evil queen, and the holds in the whole deal. Now there's a man that's searching for a boy and see in both worlds seemingly. Now it's not clear in this first issue who this boy is or how this boy might be related to the man. If you read the synopsis at, at darkhorsecomics.com, then then you kind of get a better idea. But I, I don't necessarily think I want to spoil that here. But here's the deal. So are they both real or just fantasy? That is the thing that you're trying to figure out in this story. You know, perhaps a dream to make one world more meaningful than the other or to make things make sense a little bit more. Maybe it's it's an illusion entirely. Maybe it's an escapism. It's very interesting the way these two worlds play with each other. And the way and if it's and if they're both real, how are they real and how is that really coming into existence it's there's a, there's so much intrigue here that it just has me hooked from the very beginning especially once you intro- introduce both worlds now for my money andrea muti is one of the better artists in the business right now this book is just so gorgeous to look at i mean talking about creating not just some great images and characters designs but really setting the tone for both worlds, you have to have a great artist to do that. And and Andrea Muti definitely 
brings that home. There's also there's still a lot more to unpack, though, in this book story-wise. And it's a very, very interesting premise that is, again, if you're looking for uniqueness in the storytelling in your pull box, this is one that you're going to want to add because, surprise, surprise, Cullen Bunn has another great story on his hands with Parasomnia at number one from Dark Horse Comics. That's going to do it for what we're reading up next. Hey, let's talk about some nerd news and have a little fun. I'm James Witham, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, guys, this is Violet from The Flash, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Team Flash is saved before you even knew they were in danger. It's time for nerd news. And not a ton of news this week, but this one was actually bigger than you might think. The CW and uh, through Deadline reported that The Flash is returning three key members of the cast. So... Joe's going to be back, Jesse L. Martin. We've also got Iris will be back, Candace Patton. And Killa Frost herself, Daniel Panabreaker, will be back as well, Caitlin Snow. So here's the deal. They're coming back for Season 8. Grant Gustin was already signed through Season 8. But their contracts, the three I just mentioned, were up at the end of the season. And you're talking about a show that already lost Tom Cavanaugh, that already lost Carlos Valdez, right? So they were looking at losing, what, the rest of Team Flash, almost all Team Flash anyway, that probably would have been very difficult. And some of those roles you might have even had to recast, right? I mean, at least Iris. I don't know how you could have the Flash without Iris or how they would make that work. So this was a key, key moment in the Arrowverse. I'm still calling it the Arrowverse. You can call it whatever you like. Because the the, the Flash is now the senior show on the roster, right? And if you lose those three members of the cast, that would have been a big, big deal and how that would have changed the show in its latter stages. And I mean, I'm not saying that season eight is going to be the last season, but I can't see them going past 10. So you'd have to figure out a way to tell a new story, right? And, and you know, let's say they would have killed off Iris. Well, then what do you do after that? You know, because you're going to have, you think Barry was messed up before with some of the other stuff that's happened to him. That would have really really messed him up. So it would have been interesting to see what would have happened if this, if they did not return. But I, I got to say, I'm just happy that the band is going to be somewhat back together when season eight premieres on the CW in November. A few trailers that I want to talk about right now, right now. And I want to start with Jolt, which is coming to Amazon prime video on July the 23rd with Kate Beckinsale. And it follows a character named Lindy and Lindy's got a rare neurological disorder. She's got these rage-filled, murderous impulses, is what's called in the synopsis. And it stops when she shocks herself with this electro device, right? That was given to her by Stanley Tucci, by the way. Or Stanley Tucci's character, I should say. And Lindy's played by Kate Beckinsale. So if you want a kick-ass female lead, look no further than Kate Beckinsale, right? So, you know, some things haven't really quite gone right in her life. And the second something does, it blows up. You see this in the trailer and now she's out for revenge. And you and you know, there, there's this is a familiar theme, right? In in whether this is a female-led movie or not, this is a theme that we've seen before in movies, but that doesn't mean that it's not gonna be fun, and it doesn't mean that it's not gonna be good because Lindy as a character is dripping with attitude and confidence and just it it's you love her immediately. Or at least I did. When I watch this trailer, it just looks like it's going to be so much freaking fun. Bobby Carnavale's in this, Jai Courtney, Laverne Cox, David Bradley, uh, Susan Sarandon, so many others. This thing, I just looks like 
It's going to be an adrenaline-filled blast. I cannot wait to find out where this thing's going to go on July the 23rd. So not too much longer that we have to wait. Going to have to wait a little bit longer, September 24th, to see Foundation on Apple TV+. Plus. That series is going to be a ba- based off of the Isaac Asimov Foundation, which, I mean, it's been, what, 50 years since that's been out? Now they're finally adapting this thing. And basically the, the story of this is, is you have a revolutionary doctor named Harry Seldon. He kind of says that the, the Empire, who's the, been in charge for, for a long time in this, in this galaxy, is they're, they're kind of dying off. And, you know, that, that means that chaos is about to really just rain down on society. And you're trying to rebuild and preserve the future of the civilization is basically what's going on. But, you, you know, I mean, the Cleons who are, who are, who are ruling the empire that I was that I was discussing. Here's the deal. You, you you have these empires that have ruled forever and they never just step aside, do they? They never just go, you know what? Yeah, you're right. You know, our time's kind of over. We're dying off. It's time for somebody else to take control. No, 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 no. You can't just bow out gracefully. You've got to, you know, make it a problem and and rile people up and what you see from the trailer is a ton of action that comes off of that. And I, I love the tagline, "Save your legacy." And that's really interesting because when you have egos like the Cleons have, then you, yeah, it's going to be hard. That's a hard sell because you feel like you're going to be around forever, right? And they have been. I mean, their line is ruled forever. So in, in a certain manner, it's like, okay, then why step aside at all? But this really almost feels like a sci fi Game of Thrones in a way. It looks like it could be that big that cool and that important. And you've got this, you know, this rebel on Dr. Harry Seldon who says he's not one, but you know what? You, you kind of, that, that's a label that gets put on you, right? You, you, you're earning it in a certain respect. So you've got Jared Harris, Lee Pace is going to be in this, Lou Lobdell, also Leah Harvey, and so many more. They're going to be a part of this series. Really looking forward to seeing Foundation when it hits Apple TV Plus in September. Really quick, I also want to talk about Chapelweight, which is coming to Epics on also in in August, August twenty second, to be exact. Adrian Adrian Brody going to be the lead of this thing, and man, does it look creepy from the trailer, right? Now the the synopsis might look a little, might sound a little familiar because it follows Captain Charles Boone, who's played by Brody. He relocates his family, his three kids, to his ancestral home in a small town in Maine. After his wife dies at sea and, you know, obviously some creepy stuff's going on at this house. We're going to have to find out the secrets of his family and kind of fight off the darkness that is involved there within. So, I mean, it sounds kind of lock and key ish, which makes sense because this is based on Stephen King's short story of Jerusalem's Lot. And of course, you know, Joe Hills, the son of Stephen King, is responsible for lock and key. So, Similar themes here, not exactly the same, quite frankly. And Chapelweight certainly looks much more intense than Lock and Key, at least up to this point. Anyway, but if you're looking for something to compare it to or something that you're like, oh, well, if you liked this, you might like this. That's my closest comparison that I could give you. But man, does this thing look eerie. And then you have the kid in the trailer that says, Daddy, are we safe here? And you're like, ah, based on what I've seen, I don't know if you're safe here. So... We didn't get that answer, but hopefully we will get that answer August 22nd when we see Chapelweight on Epics. 
Finally, I wanted to talk about the new My Little Pony movie, which is going to be coming to Netflix, by the way, on September the 24th. It's going to be My Little Pony, A New Generation. Now we know who the main cast is going to be, pun absolutely intended there. You got Vanessa Hudgens, who's going to be Sunny, Kamiko Glenn, who's going to be Izzy, James Marsden is Hitch, Sophia Carson is Pip, and Liza Koshy is Zip. And basically what happens here is, is that Equestria lost its magic. I know. <gasps> Gasp, right? So now we've got Earth Ponies, Unicorns, and Pegasi, which apparently is the plural for Pegasus. I didn't know that until today. They're no longer friends. They're living separately, and it's up to Sunny and her friends to kind of bring the magic back and bring everybody back together. So if you're not a Little Pony fan, you're probably already excited for this. This is one of those things where you could definitely sit down and watch this with the kids. It just looks like a fun family adventure and it seems like the story is right on point looks like they've got a good story to tell so my little pony a new generation coming to netflix on september the 24th that's going to do it for this week's edition of the down and nerdy podcast again thanks to director john lee for joining the miss joining me this week also kritzia bajos for talking about what the vox and her amazing voiceover career up to this point if you want more from us, go to downandnerdypodcast.com. Make sure you're following along on, along on social media as well, at downandnerdy757 on Twitter, on Instagram, and at downandnerdy on Facebook. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly. Be good to your fellow nerds.